are dismissed back to Praise Factory. And if you turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 12, we're going to read from there. Romans 12, we'll read the first two verses of Romans 12. I wanted to do uh, the first eight verses, but as I was preparing, I thought we are not going to get there. And usually the sermon has a title uh, before the sermon is actually done. And so that's why sometimes we switch things because uh, I just, I got to preach what's on my heart. We're going to, we're going to pray after we read the scriptures. We'll be praying this morning for uh, the five million uh, Sabra Jews within Israel this is a uh, people group that, as we have been discussing within uh, the book of Romans, is incredibly difficult to evangelize. When a, when a Jewish person acknowledges Jesus as Messiah, they not only change their religion, but they lose their cultural identity and are often viewed as traitors. Um, and so uh, we just we want to pray that God would lift the veil that's over their eyes and that they would see the Lord in all of his glory. This is what Paul says in Romans Chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you needy. The needs of the world are beyond our individual ability to meet. That, I believe, is why you filled your body, the church, with your spirit that we might be able to not just be in one place like Jerusalem worshiping but be in every place bringing food to those who are hungry and loving them in the name of Jesus being able to participate with our brother and our sister as they take the gospel to Italy being able to go into the places where we work and into our families and to say, consider the Lord Jesus. And so, Lord, we lift up these five million people who are directly descended from Abraham. And we ask that you would remove the veil that's over their eyes and draw them to you, Lord. May we be a part of that. And Lord, as we hear your word and we hear the claims of the gospel, we pray that, that we too would lay hold of it for our own good. The gospel, the good news about Jesus, is not just something that we are to intellectually consider, but something that we are to embrace and engage and live in. And so you call us to be living sacrifices. Father, I pray that you would help us as we hear to move beyond intent to move beyond good theology not to forget intent and not to forget good theology but to act upon it to express it in our actions Lord in the way that we live we pray your grace on our time and your word and we pray that you would transform and encourage us we pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Well, uh, not many of you may know this, but that is part of the reason I think that I say things like you might not know this, uh, to create interesting beginnings for messages. You might not know this. That was an unplanned aside. Just this last week on August 28th, uh, the world media celebrated a 25th anniversary. You, you might not know this. On August 28, 1993, one of the single most successful children's entertainment franchises showed its first episode. The television show was a remix of a Japanese television show uh, that was taken, right, and, and what they did is they found a bunch of American actors. Now, this is American innovation. What they did is they said, let's take some American actors and dress them like the Japanese actors, and we only have to film half of a television show. Whatever was going on in the Japanese show, we'll just rewrite into an American show, right? And, and so we'll, we'll mix it. And they said in the years of doing this that sometimes the scripts got a little weird and they didn't quite know what was going on. Why are they fighting a pig monster? Uh, they, don't, they don't know. They just rewrote the script to make it make sense. Uh, 24 television se seasons later, 20 different series, three theatrical films, Almost every kid has heard of the mighty Morphin Power Rangers. When they are morphed, these rangers who are just ordinary teenagers with attitude, as the TV show says, the rangers become powerful superheroes, right? With their suits, they are now suddenly able to kick harder and punch harder. They have these, uh, these, these superhuman strength abilities. They can leap. They have super speed. They can turn invisible. And each one of them gets customized weaponry and then this super vehicle that they travel around with, and it's called a Zord. I'm just bringing this up, just in case you don't know, okay? Now, here's what happens. This is a procedural TV show, which I guess at a stage of development, when you would watch the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, maybe you wouldn't be aware of this, but every single show goes the exact same way. The Power Rangers encounter an enemy, and they try to fight this enemy without transforming or morphing into the Power Rangers. And then they realize they cannot overcome the enemy and they say, it is morphing time. And they, they say, it's morphing time, sorry. And they transform into Power Rangers and then they fight the enemy. But then the enemy recovers and uh, launches a second wave. And what they have to do then is get into these power vehicles, whether there are three or five of them or seven, however many Power Rangers there are. And, and they get into their vehicles, and then they fight back against the enemy again until the enemy is nearly defeated, and then he grows super big every single episode. And then they realize they cannot defeat the enemy unless they unite together into one super-assembled body and work together to defeat their enemy. And so they connect, and then they use their super-whatever power, and they defeat their enemy, and then it's over, and generally they all, like, laugh over eating ice cream, and the show is over, right? That's the way the Power Rangers works. I've watched many episodes of this television show, uh, the greatest of which... Uh, the greatest series, I believe, is the 
uh, Power Rangers Super Megaforce, which features every type of ranger from all the seasons, they can become that ranger. It's fantastic. So well done. When we consider the grace of God in the church, this is what I believe happens. I think that, that, that two things happen in the mind of people who receive the good news about Jesus Christ. They think, they think I have to perfectly understand this and I need to develop this perfectly worked out theology so that I can understand who's wrong and who's right and understand all the mysteries of the Bible as if unlocking the code will change all of their circumstances. And many times believers struggle to live a changed life when that's their focus. The other focus, the other thing that I think happens is believers will understand that their sins are forgiven and that they are cleansed and made righteous by Christ and then they think now I must be good for the rest of my life and they begin to engage this battle of living in a holy way in their own strength and when they are confronted with their own defects they struggle they feel defeated. They feel like they have failed. Paul, having spent the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans explaining the grace of God and the goodness of what's been given to us in Jesus Christ, is now going to appeal to the church and say, you need to embrace transformation. You need to embrace morphine into something new. You have to own that and you need to understand how that works. That, that these avenues that many people take in their Christian life lead to defeat and failure and frustration. It's not enough just to have a good grasp on Romans 1, 9 through, or Romans chapter 1 to Romans chapter 11. We then have to put it into practice in our lives and we need to be very careful about the way that we do that. So look at what Paul says. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. He says, hey church, I am reaching out to you. I'm urging you. I'm pleading and begging with you that you hear what I'm saying here, that you track with me, that you embrace this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. What does that mean? By the mercies of God. He's appealing to them on the basis of God's mercy. Think about what Romans has been. If you were to sit down and read the chapters, Romans 1 through 11, which I believe would probably take you about 15 minutes if you really focused. If you took a highlighter, if you don't write in your Bible, maybe take a pencil. And you just put a mark in the column every time you see evidence of God's mercy. I believe that you'd have marks in every column on many verses. Romans 1 through eight highlight the fact that when human beings were fallen in sin and had separated themselves from God, that God showed mercy to them in sending Christ. God shows mercy in giving human beings righteousness and forgiveness of sin apart from keeping the law and behaving perfectly. God 
institutes righteousness that comes through grace. And we're told that because of Jesus, we have been introduced into a grace in which we stand, a permanent condition. We've been given God's righteousness, and, and we can enjoy that. The Holy Spirit has been given to us and sent inside of us. We've been given this amazing promise, the great buildup of, of Romans 1 through, uh, through 8. We, we hit that at the end of chapter 8 where we've been told that no matter what our circumstance, that if we are called by God, if we love him and are called according to his purpose, that every single thing that happens to us is working out for our good. And then we see in Romans 9 through 11 that salvation does not depend on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Paul appeals by the mercies of God. Romans 9, 23 says that God is making known the riches of his glory for vessels to whom he's going to show mercy. Just as we, Romans eleven thirty, were at one time disobedient, we received mercy from God. What is the focus of our religion? Somebody asks you that question, what is Christianity all about? I'm this, right? They name a religion and they say, what is your religion all about? Many times Christians say things like, I don't believe in religion, I believe in a relationship. I think that comes across like, really? To people who ask the question generally. They say, I'm a Muslim, or I'm a Hindu, or I'm a Buddhist. What are you? And you say, I don't focus on religion. Like, let's just answer the question straightforward, right? What does our religion focus on? It's a focus on grace, isn't it? It's a focus on the mercy of God, which is undeserved. Every other religion looks at the gulf that exists between God and man and says, oh, that doesn't exist, right? That would be uh, Hinduism. Uh, or, or they say, we will do these things to throw a ladder across that gap and try to, try to bridge it ourselves. No, Christianity says that God reached to us and bridged the gap with himself in the person of his son. He has been merciful to us, and we do not deserve it. We could never accomplish it on our own. Our religion is grace and mercy. So listen to what Paul's saying here. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God, I appeal to you on the basis of God's grace, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What is he saying here? He's saying our, our religion is mercy and grace. What are our ethics then? How do, we, how do we view our behavior? Many people view Christian behavior as I'm going to maintain God's love for me or I'm going to maintain my state of grace or I'm going to earn whatever is left over that I need to purchase for my salvation. That's the way that they think even if they're not willing to admit it because they know that that's the wrong answer in Sunday school, right? If 
the focus of our worship and what we've been given is God's grace and mercy, then our ethics are based on gratitude. Our ethics are based on thankfulness. Our ethics are based as a response to what God has done for us. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's not that we are purchasing it or earning it, but that since we have been given such amazing, wonderful grace, how could we not behave the way that God calls us to? God's grace doesn't condone sin. It doesn't dismiss it. It highlights the wickedness of sin by demonstrating to us in the person of Jesus what it costs to forgive sin. But then it ought to be for us the foundation of good conduct. It ought to become the motive for loving behavior or living in a way that shows that we love God and man. Now there's a double nature to Paul's appeal here. He's saying, I appeal to you by God's mercy. And then he's going to say two things. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice and be transformed in your mind. The first focus is on the body. We're called to offer our bodies. This is incredibly focused religious language that, that highlights the Jewish sacrificial system here. We're to be holy and pleasing to God, sanctified and, and, and pure. This is a spiritual act of worship. It's reasonable, rational, true, and it's offered by the mind and the heart. It's not just something that we do physically, okay? We offer our body, but we don't just go through the motions. This is not just showing up in a temple, not absorbed, not connected, turning something into a priest, you know, because we have to. It's not perfunctory, right? It's not like filling out all those forms before school starts. How many people actually read every single thing that they're signing? Some of you do, right? I don't. I'm just like, oh, thank you. I'm just like, sign it, right? Get it in there. Please don't judge me about how I sign forms. Um, the spiritual act of worship with, uh, with our body says, I present my mind and my heart and I come to the Lord and I say, I am going to use what you've given to me. I'm going to, to give my whole self to God. Now, the Romans believed, and they would say this, they would say that the body is a tomb, that the body is a shell to be thrown away, that the soul is inside like a peanut, right? You know, and what do you do with your peanut shells, right? Some restaurants let you throw them on the floor. You don't save them and arrange them in a collection, right? You just disregard them. And so for Paul to say to live in a particular way with your body was very challenging to them. We're to give our bodies to the Lord, to give the whole of our of ourself. Many times Christians say things like, give your heart to Jesus, where they're talking about the inward sense. And that's a good thing to say, but it can create this idea that what we do in our physical life is unimportant as long as we believe the right thing, as long as our theology is all lined up. But what Paul is saying here is that the presentation of our body to the Lord is a spiritual act. No worship is pleasing to the Lord that doesn't engage 
the whole of us. It's not just our good thoughts and intentions. It's the way that we express our life in our actions as well. And so Paul is saying here, turn not just your thinking over to God, not just the intentions of your heart, but turn your actions over to him as well. We're to, we're to put to death the misdeeds of the body and to present our bodies to the Lord for his service. When we look at the book of Romans, if you were to turn back to chapter 3, you would see that Paul's illustration of depravity involves the human body. Romans 3 verse 12 says that all have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And then he goes down the anatomy list here. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and ministry. And in the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You see the focus there is on how the human being lives and how they act as an expression of their spiritual state. The fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Which one did I miss? Patience. I always miss one. Always. So I make sure that if I'm going to use the illustration, my wife's right there because I always look to her and she's like, you forgot this one. Um, the fruit of the Spirit grows within the Spirit and that is an inward focus. But what does it do? It expresses itself in the way that we relate to others, doesn't it? How we, we live. The gospel, the good news calls us in Romans 6, verses 13, 16, and 19, not to offer ourselves, not to offer our hands and our feet and I would say our, our mouth and our texting fingers, right? Not to offer them as instruments of wickedness, but as instrument of righteousness. And so what we are to do then is to, 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 to look at the course of our lives and to say that the throat now is a source of life, that the tongue is a source of truth, that what comes out of the lips is not the, the venom of asps, but instead something that, that gives life. The mouth is full of blessing and joy. The feet are swift to go and declare the good news and to do good in our paths is joy and life and restoration. And what's before our eyes? The fear of God, that the people in their bodies, in the way that they live, that their lives would be transformed. What we do with the body is incredibly important. Now, we don't change the course of our lives because we feel guilty. That's not what Paul is saying here. He says, look at the amazing things that God has done for you. How could you not change the course of your life? pastor by the name of Thomas Chalmers preached a sermon on this topic about how we change and because he's a Puritan this is how or a, at least he was a an, an American theologian around the colonial time I believe I could be totally wrong I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of pulling my background from him out of my memory I could be totally wrong about this but I'm right about this he entitled his sermon on the way that people 
experienced change and transformation. He called it the expulsive power of a new affection. Which means this. That when we experience love and gratitude towards God for what he's done, it will drive things out of our heart and out of our mind and out of our life. When we say, I am thankful for the grace of God, we won't say, man, I'm a Christian, I can't do that anymore. We'll say, I don't want that anymore. I don't want to live like that anymore. Someone will say, oh, you're a Christian, you don't get to do that? You say, no, I get not to do that. And I'm happy about that. The body. Paul then says that we're to be transformed in our mind. We're to present our bodies to the Lord as his instrument, but we're also to conform to his will. And this is not a smushing of your own mind and a getting online and checking your brain into, you know, you put your brain into a jar, you know, that, that you don't think for yourself. Instead, the call here is to be non-conformist with the world, to reject the pattern and the way of the world. And this is good Old Testament and New Testament thinking. Leviticus 18.3, Moses, speaking the word of the Lord, says, you shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, where you lived. And you will not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I'm bringing you. Instead, you shall not walk in their statutes. You're to walk in my ways. Jesus teaches the same thing when he looks at the way that the Gentiles prayed. They would heap up empty phrases. They thought that they would be heard by God for their many words, like if they just kept the call going long enough that God would be like, oh, somebody's talking to me. He's been at it for like 25 minutes. Let me check in and see what's going on there. Jesus says, that's nonsense. Do not be like them, he says. Your father knows what you need before you ask. Think right thoughts. Allow the mind to focus on the truth of the scripture instead of the truth that the world pushes at you. There is a translation of the Bible written, I believe, in the 1960s, maybe 1970s, called the Phillips edition. Again, I could be totally wrong about that as well, but there is a translation called the Phillips edition. And he translates this verse this way. He says, don't be pressed into the mold of the surrounding culture, but be transformed into the image of God. We used to have this uh, Bob the Builder Play-Doh set, right? You know, you take the Play-Doh and you get a certain amount of it and you'd get that, you know, you have that little ball of Play-Doh and you take the Play-Doh and you, you smash it into the mold, right? You know, and you, you crush it in the mold and, and because of the massive pressure of adult hands, right, the, the, the Play-Doh, you know, comes out and then you, you take that useless little cutting tool that they give, you know, and you trim the edges and then you peel out of there this figure of Bob the Builder, who maybe you remember, right? You know, and, and that is an image of what the world is trying to do to us as believers. Fit into this mold, think this way, act this way, say these things, do these things, speak according to this pattern. But we are told not to be pressed into that mold, but instead to be transformed into the image and the way of thinking that God calls us to. There are only two models out there when you think about it. There's this age, which Paul describes as 
passing away. And then there is the will of God, which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, how does this transformation take place? Paul says, don't settle. Present your bodies. This is going to take energy and effort. And be transformed. Be attentive to it. How does this take place? Now, this transformation word calls on an idea, an example from the life of Jesus. We find it in Mark chapter 9. Uh, if you wanted to look at it, Mark 9, 2. It shows up in uh, two other Gospels, but it says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. They went up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant. I chose this one for a particular comment, which is coming next. Intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. I love that. If all scripture is entirely true all the time, no one has ever had cleaner clothes than Jesus had at that minute, right? All of the Clorox and all these like Tide Pods and all this stuff, man, they do not get the job done like the grace of God gets it done. Holy Spirit power cleanses clothes cleaner. I just, I think that's so amazing and interesting. It says, and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. They were talking with Jesus and a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Second Corinthians Chapter 3, verse 18, picks up this theme of transformation with this thought. We all, with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. The idea here is that as we behold the Lord in his truth, as we look to Jesus, who is the image of God, who is the purity of God, who is exactly who we are to be, as we look at him and as we lower the barrier and the veil and we say, yes, Lord, I want to be transformed. I present myself to you. Show me your will. Inform me of how you would like me to live because you have been good to me. It says that we are being transformed into Jesus' image. Did, did you see that? In 2 Corinthians 3.18, as we behold the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. There's this idea of progress, of, of movement, of change, and of transformation, and it comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, which is something that happens to us. And so we're to exert effort and energy in presenting our body to the Lord. But then we come to the Lord and we say, teach me your will. And as we focus on him in gratitude, our minds change. And only the renewed mind can test and approve God's will and say, that is good. That is the way to go. How do we experience transformation? Two comments and encouragement. One is that God tells us that he's given us everything that we need, that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places 
in Christ Jesus. That's Ephesians 1, 3. And so we're transformed by the Spirit and the Word. God's Spirit is there and present. When we're reading His Word, He is there to bring transformation and life to us. The the Spirit has raised us from the dead and is regenerating and transforming everything that's tainted by sin within us. And we're to take up the sword of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6, which is God's Word, the objective revelation of it. Have you ever heard something from someone or you've you've heard somebody say something and then you, you, you kind of mess it up or twist it and then you go on the internet and kind of figure out what that quote is and you realize that you got it wrong the way that you heard it? We thank God that he wrote his words that we could have it. It's objective. It doesn't change. We would twist it and mess it up within 24 hours, right? One giant game of telephone. All the tools that we need are there. The second comment is this, that we need to continuously remember that this is the way that it works, right? Think about the Power Rangers. They, it's all been building up to this, right? They have an enemy to defeat. They have a victory to be won. And the first thing that they do is they're like, we're going to defeat this without our suits, right? We're going we're gonna to go fight the enemies without our costumes and all the, the power that's been given to us. And they fight, and then they're like, we're not strong enough to win. And then they say, it's morphin' time, right? And then they transform, and now they're beating back the enemy. They're finally laying hold of what's been given to them. In their case, it comes from Zordon, from another dimension. In our case, the power that we need comes from the Spirit of God dwelling within us, which is working through God's word. But then they fall into the trap of fighting solo, and then the enemy gets really big, and then they need to transform and unite into one and do their amazing power move and defeat their enemy. As believers, we have the advantage of not being locked into this half an hour script that always goes the exact same way. First we forget, then we fight back with some limited success, then we fail again, and then we... No, it doesn't need to be that way. We can be transformed, and we can change into those who say, I know the will of God. I know the word of God. I know what God has called me to do, and because I I know his word, and because I know that he loves me, I'm going to present my body to him, and I'm going to say, change me and transform me and use me for your will and your glory, Lord, and change my mind transform me inwardly into the image of Jesus that I might live in a way that pleases you because you have loved me and you have been kind to me. So here's how transformation takes place. We are renewed by the Spirit and the Word. And as that renewal takes place, we can discern and we will increasingly desire the will of God as we hear it preached, sung, And as we encounter it in scripture, and as we repeat this process, we will be increasingly transformed by it. Don't make the mistake of inserting your obedience as a piece of the process of being justified. Don't don't make the mistake of saying, I've got to do this in order to earn. Paul's very clear here. I appeal by the mercies of God, present your body. Be transformed. If we mess that up, we fall into this endless, lame, 
poorly acted out process that just frustrates us. Paul's going to move on. He's going to talk about how, well, here he's talked about how we relate to God himself, and he's going to talk about how we relate to others and how we relate to each other and how we relate to our enemies and how we relate to the state and to the law and to the day when he returns and how we relate to weaker members within the fellowship. And then Romans is over. It's all the outworking of God's grace in transformation. So the encouragement to you this morning, the appeal to you rather is this. Don't just focus on good theology and good thinking. And don't get trapped in the thought of, I must earn this. Instead, focus on the goodness and the grace of God and the fact that we get to say, it is morphin time. We can be transformed because God has given us everything that we need. It's all been given to us. We should receive it with gratitude and embrace it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word. We thank you for your goodness and kindness toward us. Lord, I thank you that we as a church, we've been able to gather this morning and to do some good and to to feed some kids. And I thank you that we've heard a report from our missionaries who are taking the gospel into a place that, that is not known for embracing Jesus in grace and truth. And Lord, we thank you that you've given us everything that we need for life and for transformation. And I pray that each and every one of us would trust in you because you have been kind to us. That we would embrace your will and your way because you loved us. That we would say yes to your plan for us because how could we not when you've been so kind? We pray that you would be glorified in all that we do, that we would be transformed. Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who needs to surrender their life to you, who needs to say, I need a savior, I pray that they would put their faith and trust in you and that they would embrace you in faith. And Father, I pray for each and every one of us that we would live out the call upon our lives because you've been kind. Lord, we pray this in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing a closing song together.